You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown. You're locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And this show, for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus is on the show today, and the reason he's on the show today is because the Packers have four players right now who are the number one graded players at their position, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Corey Lindsley, and Jair Alexander. And so I wanted to hear from someone at PFF as to what they're seeing. Because, you know, you can talk to the Packers, beat writers, and and the people who analyze this team for a living, and they're going to do it through a Packers lens. But I think what is particularly useful is when we open the scope a little bit when we take a more 30,000 foot view and say, okay, we know that that Jair Alexander is having a good season, but how is he compared to, you know, Stefan Gilmore or Jalen Ramsey or guys that maybe you're not watching week to week guys that I'm not watching week to week as closely as I am someone like Jair Alexander. I try and watch as many of the games as I can. I try and figure out what's going on around the league, but I watch the Packers game three, four, five times, whether it's the the rewatch, you know, the condensed version, the all 22. I don't do that with the Rams. I'm not looking at, you know, what Jalen Ramsey is doing on the all 22 from every game. So I think it's useful to get that sort of um, national eye. And then, you know, I also think it's useful because I think Pro Football Focus is a useful tool and and they have a ton of useful metrics. Um, by the way, the Packers use Pro Football Focus and, and find it to be useful. Uh, that, you know, we, we talk a little bit about how their metrics have evolved over time because it is the case that if you go back a few years ago, Aaron Rodgers has this great game against the Chiefs, famously, primetime game. He tosses a bunch of touchdown passes and gets this bad grade. And it's like, wait, what? the hell happened here and you know I, I, i'm i'm gonna put it to austin and say look you know what what's the deal why why are things different now because to, to my eyes they are so if you want to you know dismiss what pro football focus does you know that's fine uh, i understand that but i just want to let you know i was a skeptic and the work that they've put in over the last three four five years uh, have made me a, a believer in a lot of the stuff that they're doing over there. Although, you know, all of it should be taken with some level of of a grains of salt just because no metric is perfect. No piece of data is the skeleton key that unlocks our understanding of the way the game is played. I want to pick up before we get to Austin on the conversation we had to start yesterday's show, and that was breaking down the game, of course. And Matt LaFleur and and I 
were critical after the game of the effort that was put out there, the energy and the intensity that was was put forth by this team. And Aaron Rodgers, by the way, did not criticize that, although he did after the Vikings game. And I thought Matt LaFleur at his press conference on Monday said something that was really interesting. He said, you know, after the game, I'm paraphrasing, of course, I was really mad. And, you know, it sounds like he lit into the team after the game about their effort. And then after some further consultation with the team, clearly he talked to some coaches and players. His conclusion was, well, maybe it wasn't emotion that the team was lacking. They just didn't execute. And this goes back to the conversation we had a week ago about speed and physicality. It can seem like a team is playing with more energy, like a team is playing with more life and more juice when they're playing better. And Green Bay has been one of the best offensive lines in football this season by ESPN's pass rush and run block win rate, the best team in football at blocking opponents this season. But in a couple games, they have not executed I don't think it's fair to say, oh, well, they got out physical. No, they just didn't play well. They just didn't execute. Execution is about a lot more than just physicality. If the more physical team won every time, then you just build the most physical team in football. But those teams are not the ones who always win. You need to be able to do a lot more than just be physical. Execution is about more than energy. It's about more than emotion. It's about more than physicality. And Green Bay didn't execute on Sunday. And so I'm going to take the coach at his word because you ask a player and a player knows, was I up for that game? Was I emotionally invested in that game? Did I bring energy to that game? And if he can say honestly, yes, then you have to look at why the execution was bad because the execution was bad. And it's an easy assumption to make that, oh, they they came out flat because they weren't involved. They didn't bring intensity. No. Now, could intensity and focus contribute to why you execute poorly? Of course it could. And, and you know, maybe players were not honest with themselves, but it sounds like players felt like, look, we were engaged. We were into it. There was a good week of practice, according to Matt LaFleur. He thought the energy was good during the week of practice, that they were engaged. And sometimes you just don't play well. You know, Devontae Adams, the fumble, uncharacteristic. The two drops, uncharacteristic, where he lets a defender beat him at the catch point. That stuff just doesn't happen very often. Aaron Rodgers throwing to an underneath defender where he can look right at that underneath defender because he's blanketed to his receiver. Those mistakes don't happen very often. Now, they can still cost you a game. And maybe against a better team, it would have cost Green Bay the game. But this was uh, the case of execution, it sounds like. And and going back and rewatching the game, I have to say, I agree. And it was really just a couple mistakes that turned this game because every time it looked like Green Bay, they get a defensive stop, they get the ball back for their offense, and it's a mistake. It's a drop on third down. It's poor execution on a, on a uh, run block assignment. It's getting beat at the point of attack. 
you know, with speed or it's not figuring out where to get to. It's not hitting their landmarks for the running backs. It's Rodgers missing, you know, Marquez Valdez Scantling cutting open on a third and three and end up throwing the ball away. It's these little things that had nothing to do with energy, apparently, but could reasonably be explained by just a failure of execution. And there, some of this is just Occam's razor. You say, okay, what is the easiest explanation? The easiest explanation is they didn't play well. Now, why didn't they play well? Sometimes there is no easy answer there. Sometimes you just have a bad game. The problem for the Packers is they've had two in three weeks here. And okay, it sounds like one was an energy problem. It was an intensity problem. Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, the team seemed to agree that the Vikings game was that. They don't seem to agree that the Jaguars was. In fact, they seem to agree that it wasn't, that they played poorly. And sometimes an opponent can force you to play poorly. And and maybe Jacksonville did that a little bit. Sometimes, you know, you say, look, I was into the game, but you're making mental mistakes because you're human and you expect the game to be easier than it turned out to be. Well, that could be the case too. And sometimes, you know, you say, look, I was invested, but you know, you can lose focus. You you can you can lose an edge. You can say, well, you know, I I wanted to win. We we wanted to beat the crap out of this team. We just, you know, I I made some mistakes. And sometimes it is as simple as that. There's there's no there's no explanation for it. And and that can be difficult. You know, for me, as I'm looking at someone trying to figure out the why, it can be difficult for fans who obviously, you know, they want to figure out what's going on. And of course, as part of sports discourse, we want to have someone to blame. We want to have something to blame. And sometimes, as Aaron Rodgers has said this season, it's as simple as shit happens. Today's episode is brought to you by DoorDash. DoorDash is the thing that can help make your dinner planning, your lunch planning, your breakfast planning, any meal you need that you don't want to make, DoorDash can bring it to you. And they have thousands of restaurant options across the country for you to choose from. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with their new contactless delivery drop-off settings. 300,000 restaurant partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia. So you can get your go-tos from your local restaurants or hit up your national chains, your Wendy's, your Chipotle's, your Cheesecake Factories. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off and no delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. That's $5 off the DoorDash app when you enter promo code LOCKEDON. Today's episode is also brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. All right, let's get to my conversation with Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus. Uh, He is uh, Mike Renner's host. We had Mike Renner on the show uh, earlier this season. He is Mike Renner's co-host on the Two for One Draft podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale. 
Austin, thanks for coming on Locked On Packers. Yeah, thank you, man. I'm uh, I'm excited to get on here. The Packers, uh, there's some intriguing narratives, man. Uh, a handful of those guys are grading really well. They have, and that was why I wanted to have you on. Um, and, and I actually want to start here because I, I in in full disclosure, um, there was a, t- a time when I was a PFF PFF skeptic. And I have to say that that the quality of the work and and the data science and a lot of the stuff that's been going on over the last, I would say, five years has just really impressed me. And, and I just sort of wanted to, as PFF proxy, um, let you know that that I think a lot of the work that you guys are doing is really great. I, I actually wanted to see if you could, from your perspective, tell me a little bit about how you've seen the process evolve, because I find myself... Um, you know, really uh, finding that that a lot of the the grades, for example, are aligning more with what you know some of the analytics are saying, and so I, I wanted to give you a chance to to talk about how maybe the process has evolved since you've been there. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I, the the biggest change I think over the past three to four years has been the addition of legit mathematics guys to come in and and evaluate predictive qualities of the grades and data that we collect. I think it started with bringing on two really, really strong mathematics, you know, research and develop uh, R&D people and George Chahuri, who's now our director of content and Eric Eager, Dr. Eric Eager, mm-hmm. who's our, our director of research and development actually. And he, that, uh, those two guys have really done so much analysis on the data that we do collect the play-by-play grading to evaluate the processes and see which of the, what are we doing that is stable? What part of the process that we're doing actually predicts future performance, because that's what matters, whether we're selling right. data and anal- analytics to the NFL teams, the NCAA teams, fantasy football players, betters, whoever it may be, everyone's trying to make decisions to predict future performance. Agents want to know which guy you know is going to make the most money in the NFL. Teams want to know who's going to be the best prospect at each uh, position, et cetera. Who should we sign in free agency? And if your grades and the data that you collect doesn't have stability year over year, doesn't have predictive power, it's not worth it. I mean, and I think that's my biggest counter argument to those that are kind of skeptical of PFF's grading processes or data collection process. PFF offensive line and defensive line grades are more stable than any metric you can find at the position. Same with PFF passing grades. Rushing grades are very stable. Force miss tackle rate is very stable. There's a lot of the stuff that we collect from college to pro, pro to pro, so year over year in the NFL. It has legitimate stability year over year to a point where you can start to make more well-informed decisions, whether you're a team in the front office trying to decide to draft a player, extend a player at a certain average value per year. It's been really interesting to see how much we've done from a uh, data analysis standpoint to to evaluate the predictive power of our grades. And for the stuff that we are collecting that doesn't have predictive power, we're reevaluating those processes. How can we grade cornerbacks better? Why is it so, why are our grades so volatile? Is it the nature of the position? What kind of processes get better? And I think that's been really where we've seen PFF grow the most. Yeah. Every, when you said Dr. Eager, all I could think of was Mike Myers going, Dr. Eager. Um, I, uh, I, I think that that was exactly what I wanted, by the way. Um, I had an agent, I, t- I tweeted out a, a metric last year during during free agency, and I had an agent uh, hit my DMs and go, wait, does that mean X, Y, Z? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, that guy is going to use whatever that metric was, and I don't, I don't remember offhand what it was, in negotiating. And that's how mm-hmm. you know 
that that this is having a real world impact. Obviously, PFF sells. They have relationships now, I think, with all 32 teams. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and and I, I my understanding is that the Packers are one of those teams that that Matt LaFleur has come in and emphasized that and all the coaches, they made sure that they have logins and that they look at the data and they use it, too. So um, I, for whatever mileage people may have with it, uh, NFL teams care about it. And, and I just felt like that was a necessary preamble to get into some of the things that, that I want to get into today. There are different use cases across, you know, across, depending on your situation for PFF's data and grades. So all 32 NFL teams do, do currently use PFF's data analysis and our PFF ultimate product, 85 FBS teams, I think over half the CFL the entire AAF and XFL when those leagues were around. And obviously, you know, X amount of uh, subscribers, those who are interested in, make, you know, drafting better in fantasy football, making better bets, betting on player props, playing DFS, because this data, regardless of your skepticism, has predictive power. It has predictive yep. power on future player performance. And I think that's what everyone at the end of the day wants. Indeed. Uh, so let's let's start with this Devontae Adams uh, conversation because – you know, after week one, Robert Mays wrote this great piece for the Athletics saying, you know, this could be the year that Devontae Adams ascends to that wide receiver one level. And he has played that way this season, Sunday notwithstanding, when he had a couple plays that he didn't finish, had the fumble. But um, I, I know that he was uh, number one in yards per route run and stuff like that, too. From from PFS perspective, what is what has changed this year about Devontae versus other years? I think a big part of it is volume. And I know he's always been really heavily targeted, but staying healthy is a big part of it. Being healthy, as healthy as Devontae Adams is this year, has been very fortunate for his grading. Also, he's getting targeted a ton and making most of those targets. To rank highly in PFF receiving grades, there's a handful of factors. The number one thing, you need targets. You need to earn targets in the NFL. Target rate is very heavily correlated or strongly strongly positively correlated to yards per out run and PFF receiving grade. Earning targets in the NFL is difficult. It's not just getting hammered targets behind the line of scrimmage. It's earning targets 10, 15 plus yards down the football field. And obviously, Devontae Adams does exactly that. Not dropping the football. That is another way yeah. you can grade really well in PFF system. Drops can hammer receivers grades we'll have guys you know a lot of the time some some criticism is that i can't believe this player with a thousand receiving yards has such a low receiving grade he has 18 drops on the year amari cooper <laughs> right is always a good example of that in the past where he's racking up a ton of box score production but has a handful of targets dropped the third way i think this one kind of gets understated in some ways as well is hauling in a high percentage of contested targets mm -hmm. that you rarely see from receivers one year and not the next year contested target rate or you no know, contested catch percentage is even heavily correlated from college to the NFL. And you see with Devontae Adams, one of the better contested catch receivers in the NFL, Kenny Galladay, another one of those guys, Stefan Diggs, very good in contested catch situation. So I think he has the perfect package, man. Devontae Adams can separate and earn targets down the football field has very good hands and wins in contested catch situations. That trio right there makes it the highest graded receiver in the NFL right now. Justin Jefferson, another great example, someone in college who didn't have to do it a ton because he was open a lot. But in those, I, he had some crazy number of, of contested catch rate uh, at LSU, right? Yeah, he did. <laughs> this guy, ball skills, ball skills, ball skills. I remember having reservations about Justin Jefferson because he played so much in the slot, rarely saw single coverage, and was largely earning his targets against off zone and finding holes in zone. And when I'm looking at a receiver, a first round talent, I want to see them win on the outside, 
win against single coverage because that has stability entering the NFL. But Chris Collinsworth, who comes in the office of decent amount, the majority owner and chairman of PFF, asked Justin Jefferson why he played in the slide at LSU. You're this dominant wide receiver one. He said, point blank, Joe Brady told me the guy that plays in the slot is going to get the most targets. So I played in the slot. And <laughs> Justin Jefferson now um, obviously had a t- dominant career with Joe or dominant season with Joe Burrow in the slot after playing a majority outside receiver in 2018 and now playing the slot with the Minnesota Vikings having a ton of success. I think the other name that that we have to talk about uh, and maybe we should have started with because it, it's a little bit of a victory lap for Packer fans is Aaron Rodgers. Um, and he, for for a long time, did not have a turnover-worthy throw this season. Uh, he has been a lot better this year. The eye test supports it. The rhythm of the offense is better. But in terms of what, what PFF is looking at, what has changed about Aaron Rodgers' play? Well, a higher percentage of big-time throws. Those are PFFs. It has, a, it has a fun name to it, so I definitely understand why big-time throws isn't treated as that great of a statistic. But those are PFFs positively, highly positively graded throws. So every single player on every single play gets graded from negative 2 to positive 2 at 0.5 increments. So negative 2, negative 1.5, negative 1. You get what I'm saying. Right. Those throws that are graded at 1, 1.5, or 2 are those big-time throws. And to earn a grade above one or a grade above 0.5, you need to be one, accurate with the football, two, pushing the ball downfield, largely more than eight, 10 yards down the football field, and three, putting it exactly where it needs to be for the wide receiver to kind of make the most of that reception, leading receivers the right way, throwing away from coverage, keeping receivers in bounds, all those types of things. I think it's not just a downfield throw. It's not just a big-time throw in a big-time moment. It has to be accurately placed down the football field, to the receiver's leverage is something that's in PFF's grading grading manual that, you know, to the receiver's leverage down the football field is where you want to be at the quarterback position. Aaron Rodgers has a high percentage of those and a very low percentage of turnover-worthy plays, which is any any play for the quarterback that is graded at negative one or worse. That's a bad fumble where you're holding the football too long, pressure is there, and you're making a mistake. It's not a blindsided strip sack. A guy that, you know, your left tackle gets absolutely pantsed in the first second of the play <laughs> and you fumble the football. That's not a turnover-worthy play for the quarterback. That's not going to be heavily negatively graded in Aaron Rodgers' case. It's when you see welcome pressure, try to make more of the play than it is, and then fumble the football where those fumbles are going to get credited to you. And for the quarterback position, fumbles, I don't have to tell you this, aren't brought up a ton. No. People bring up picks. People bring up touchdowns. People do not talk about fumbles for quarterbacks, especially – when they're recovered by the offense. But PFF grades those the same. If your running back falls on a bad fumble, you're still going to earn a negative grade in PFF system. The other part of that are obviously interceptions or should be interceptions that were the quarterback's fault. That's not a batted pass that gets picked by a defensive tackle. That is when you throw the football to the opposition or throw the football to the opposition and it is a clear drop by the defender. That and the reason for that is, and everyone, you know, Shannon Sharp, it kind of makes national media when people talk about PFS, quote unquote, turnover worthy plays like, oh, you're giving credit to almost turnovers. Turnover worthy plays are more predictive year over year, more stable year over year than turnovers. Yeah. Why would you throw that data point out? Just because it's not an actual turnover doesn't mean it doesn't have value. At weighing that and thinking and, and trying to factor that into evaluating player performance is important. Any stable metric is super important when you're evaluating player performance. You will, you will more often see a quarterback with a high turnover-worthy play rate 
maintain similar turnover-worthy play rates in his NFL career than you would a guy that has an unlucky season of interceptions and then bounces back from that due to maybe a high percentage of them being batted balls or whatever it may be. Why do you think, and and this is possible that there is even some disagreement within the building. In fact, I'm sure there is that Aaron Rodgers' grades overall the last few years have remained, as you said, this importance of stability, relatively stable, whereas some of the advanced metrics, you know, some of the EPA numbers, the QBR numbers have fallen a little bit further. What do you think that disconnect is about? Yeah, I I think there are disagreements even within the building along that. I think in PFF's grading process, compared to some of the, you know, EPA per play is a good one, coverage, uh, completion percentage above expectation, uh, CPOE as it's abbreviated on the Twitter sphere. Yep. Um, re- really heavily. Basically, di- Ben down- Baldwin's favorite stats. <laughs> it is. It definitely is. <laughs> um, it, it, PFS grading system does not downgrade as heavily as others do uh, throwaways. And Aaron Rodgers is a big throwaway guy. Yep. He throws the ball away at a very high rate. He, I think, broke the PFF record yep. for throwaways season, if not 2018, maybe 29, maybe 28, 2019. But they, we, you know, put an expected grade on throwaways depending on the situation. Obviously, a Derek Carr throwaway, a.k.a. a fourth down throwaway, is going to be a negative grade <laughs> play. But when you're throwing the football away, oftentimes we are not – it's not as simple as an incompletion. It's not, it's not, it's not as negative as maybe uh, other plays like EPA per play or coverage uh, completion percentage above expectation will have. And I think that's a factor. I also think that – he has always been a guy that has a lot of successful throws downfield that are dropped. He's struggled with drops in uh, yep. previous seasons. Drops are never going to be um, like properly charted in EPA per play or CPOE. So I think that's another part of it. But again, there's disagreements even within the building. You know, Aaron Rodgers is it even though PFF's grading process is a triple blind process where three different graders will evaluate every single player in every single game. Uh, between the, the first whistle and I think within 48 hours of that game, even in the triple vine process, there's people that believe maybe there are biases. It's Aaron Rodgers. That was a really good throw, that kind of stuff. But I really do think that he has maintained a high-end level of quarterback play. It's definitely not what he was in, what, 2013, where he was in that MVP caliber season, but he's maintained a high-level quarterback play, has thrown the ball way more, has you know had suffered from drops, poor supporting cast, injuries to Devontae Adams. But we're seeing this year with a healthy Devontae Adams – one of the best offensive lines in football. And I think a coach that's really putting him in a position to succeed right now, him grayed out as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And and then, you know, the other one that I really wanted to focus into because I don't know if my audience really wants to dig into Corey Lindsley and, and what makes him so great. Although, look, I, let's get Joe Thomas on here. Let's get Duke Mayweather on here. Let's do it. But uh, Jair Alexander has been the number one graded cornerback. He didn't play on Sunday, had a concussion. But the ascension with him has been remarkable to watch. And you mentioned that there is some issues with the stability of this at the, at the cornerback position. But what what is it about Jair's play that has made him so successful this season? He's always been at, at or near the top of the league in contested catches. Um, and he's still not creating turnovers at a high level. So it, it's to me, it's a little remarkable because I know PFF values those splash plays and the turnovers that he has been as highly graded as he is this year without some of that stuff. Yeah, and I think, man, he has been a very, very talented cornerback so far this year. And how you, to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit on PFF's grading process for the cornerback position, you're going to receive heavy, heavy positive grades with the forced incompletions 
interceptions, even you know forcing turnover-worthy plays. Those are where you're going to see your major positives that bring your grades up. But I'd say because it is a, a loss-focused position, avoiding negatively graded plays at cornerback is arguably more important than forcing completions and interceptions. Yeah. And Jair Alexander this year, more than any year in the, his previous career, has been um, – him avoiding negatively graded plays because when you when you have a negative play at the cornerback position, when you lose a rep at corner, you're giving up a touchdown. That's how it right. works. It's not like losing, it's not like losing a rep at edge defender. You lose a rep along the edge, you just don't get a sack. You don't get a pressure. You lose a rep at corner. You're watching Amari Cooper stroll into the end zone or whoever it may be, and that I think is why PFF's you know zero to one hundred grades, the algorithm in place places a heavy, heavy emphasis on avoiding negatively graded plays at the cornerback position, which includes trotting out on the football field and playing 40-plus coverage snaps and only seeing two or three targets. Not earning targets at the cornerback position will earn high grades compared to corners that say they do have a ton of forcing completions but were targeted 12 times and allowed eight receptions. I think avoiding targets, I think a stat I really do like is coverage snaps played or yards allowed per coverage snap played which I think does yep. a really good job of showing, hey, this guy was on the football field for 60 coverage snaps and allowed only 40 yards. Like that is going to be, or maybe even fewer than that, that's always going to be heavily um, factored into the grading process as well because it's more than just winning when you're targeted. It's winning every rep so that you're not targeted. Yeah, I, and and just as we as we circle up on, on all these discussions, I want to broaden it a little bit because I came on uh, your podcast with Mike Renner, although Mike was was under the weather for that, uh, and, and so we didn't get to to chat with him. But one of the the players I wanted to single out was Rashawn Gary because you asked me about him. He's coming off one of his best games. I think his second highest graded game as a pro on Sunday had seven pressures, um, and and really helped seal the game against the Jaguars. You would you had hoped coming in not to have to seal the game on the last possession on fourth down against the Jaguars, but he was able to do it. So I'm going to ask you to put on you know multiple hats for this because you do cover the draft so so closely as well. Um, and I'll and I'll flip the question you asked me onto you. What have you seen from Gary this year, and what has Pro Football Focus seen from Gary this year that makes him different from what he was as a rookie and even what he was as a college prospect? Yeah, I think looking at you know this past week where he earned the highest single game PFF pass rushing grade of his career, so seven total pressures, a 75.0 plus PFF pass rushing grade this past week, really impressive one. You look at what he did specifically, beat Juwan Taylor, I think the second year player out of Florida with Bull Rush twice, uh, had an outside pressure against Juwan Taylor as well beat Cam Robinson to the edge on a pressure and then had a handful of pursuit pressures where pursuit pressures or cleanup pressures is what we'll chart them as. Don't get as highly graded as pure wins along the edge. Still factor into your pressure total. Still factor into your grade. It's better to be pursuing the quarterback, flowing to the ball than it is to give up on a play, which you know few edge defenders do. But I think with Rashawn Gary, we still aren't seeing significant, significant strides from a toolbox perspective. We're not seeing like brand new moves from Rashawn Gary. I think what we are seeing, though, is more confidence in his ability to beat his opposition. He's winning bull rush snaps more often. He's getting to the edge more often than he did at Michigan. I also really like what they're doing with him when they stand him up on the edge, keep his hand out of the ground or out of the ground, off the ground. Um, I think that's where I think I've seen him have a ton of success. Level of competition matters too. Taylor hasn't had that great of a year and neither has Cam Robinson. Well, you can probably stretch it out his, his entire career. But I think Rashawn Gary 
He is a very, very good athlete. One of the best athletes in the NFL. It was why he was drafted as highly as he was. I think playing with the confidence that he should have and that he is this athlete is that in that he can be, you know, one of the best edge defenders in the NFL, dominate his opposition with pure physicality is when you'll see bull rush pressures rack up like he had this past week. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see because he was he was really the best pass rusher on this team the first couple of weeks when when Zadarius Smith and, and Preston Smith were still sort of playing their way into the season. Preston Smith apparently still playing his way into the season, so uh, we'll, I, I'm I'm anxious to see him get some more snaps here down the stretch. Austin, I appreciate you coming on. Of course, man. Thank you. I want to thank Austin again for joining the show. Great conversation with him, and I, I think really important to to get behind some of the data. And just say, okay, you know, show me how the sausage is made a little bit. So if if you are someone who is naturally dubious of these things, then I think it's it's helpful to have someone come in and explain, hey, this is the methodology, this is how this works, and this is why you should take it seriously. As we finish up here, let's talk about our friends at Built Go. You've heard me talk about Built Bar. Well, now they make a 1.5 ounce energy packet to get you through your day. Put it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever. Put it in your golf bag to power through the back nine or put it in your pocket to get you through the day. It's like a five hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for your body. It's like drinking a monster with a third of the caffeine and better results. And it comes in three delicious flavors. How do I know they're delicious? Well, because they come from the same company that brings you Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCK to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCK to get 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Today's episode is also brought to you by the Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin. With the power of academic medicine, the Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network makes more possible, more humanly possible for patients, like Aaron Rodgers does for his offense. More innovations that lead to life-saving treatments, more breakthroughs for complex diseases, and more locations across the region so that academic medicine is never far. But what exactly is academic medicine anyway? First, it's rare. The Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network is Eastern Wisconsin's only academic health system. Academic medicine makes possible leading-edge primary and specialty care, research to find groundbreaking cures, and the education of the next generation of healthcare professionals. Academic medical centers provide greater access to clinical trials, which can lead to breakthrough treatments and life-saving drugs. Freighter and MCW physicians have been a part of many scientific discoveries of new ways to prevent, diagnose, and treat diseases. It all adds up to more possibilities. And when we do everything humanly possible... You can too. To learn more, visit www.freighter.com. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Zhao Yu doing crossover Thursday on deck. A huge week. By the way, Lily Zhao from the Indianapolis area. So she is uniquely positioned to help us preview Packers Colts in what really is the marquee matchup of the weekend and a chance for Green Bay to put on its big boy pants and show that they are real Super Bowl contenders. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.